Hello and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialists. In today's episode, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape, to discuss some cases that arose in our recent webinar on the 9th of August, which covered overage and clawback, problems and solutions. Hi, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. I haven't seen you for quite a while. (laughs) Yes, it's been all of 24 hours. The first case we want to look at that you kind of touched on in the webinar was Sparks and Biden of 2017 High Court case. Do you want to start by giving us the background on that one? Yeah, it uh, all took place in somewhere called Havelock Road uh, in Wimbledon, in London. Uh, and Mr. Sparks was say he, he ran a vehicle repair business on this Havelock Road. Uh, and, but over the years, um, he'd accumulated various little parcels of land around his business. Uh, with an intention one day of um, developing the land, getting planning permission for housing, uh, and that part of the world making a lot of money as a consequence. And he he was now in his 60s, and this was going to be his pension pot, basically. Um, So that's the sort of background. He found uh, a business uh, development uh, company uh, called Linkwood Consultants uh, to... um, sort of developed the land and uh, granted an option to Linkwood, who then assigned the option to uh, well, the person who was the actual effective owner of Linkwood, which was Mr. Biden, uh, who'd been a property developer for some 35 years. Uh, and the option included uh, overage clause. Okay, and what did the overage clause say? Well, it basically said that um, Biden, or the person who was subject to the overage, would uh, take all reasonable endeavours to obtain planning permission on this uh, piece of land. And uh, if he did obtain planning permission, he would build houses as soon as reasonably practicable on the land. But they then said that uh, when a house got sold, a fixed overage amount would be paid to to Sparks of £750,000. And it defined the sale as either a freehold sale or a lease, a long lease of more than 21 years. Um, so what was the problem with that? Well, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, perhaps, but it's almost inevitable what Biden was going to do, because uh, there was no obligation to sell within a reasonable time. Uh, so the eight executive houses were built on this land, and uh, Biden didn't sell them. He uh, went to live in one of them himself, and the other seven were let out on a short, short-hold tenancies. And uh, Biden claims that as a consequence of this, I don't have to pay the overage payments. Right, okay. And what was the court decision? The court decided that there must be an implied term that uh, you would uh, sell the properties within a reasonable time as well. And so the overage payment had to be made. Uh, They relied on, they talked about a quite a famous Supreme Court case from 2015 called Marks and Spencers and BMP Paribas all about break clauses where the judges had said that uh, well, implied terms shouldn't be used, uh, save in sort of certain circumstances. Uh, but you could imply a term if there was, uh, well, unless there was an express term that went contrary to it. For instance, I remember this from my university degree studies in my first year, many years ago, when I was an impressionable teenager. Uh, it was necessary to imply a term to give the arrangement, the contract business efficacy. Um, it wouldn't make sense to have the other clauses about getting planning permission and building the properties if you didn't have to sell at a later stage. 
And the other uh, thing they talked about as in Marks and Spencer's and BMP is it goes without saying. I remember that as say from his studies took, took me back a bit. The officious bystander test that wasn't used in the in the actual law report itself. But if you were to ask a member of the public, do you have to sell these? The answer would come back, oh, but of course. And so uh, they had to pay the seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds overage. Okay. And what conclusions can we draw from this one? Well, I think that you don't rely on implied terms if you're drafting these things, because it was so obvious that uh, what Biden was likely to do in these circumstances. And you should have dealt with it expressly. You can't be certain that the courts are going to be, you know, you're, you don't want to go to court in the first place if you can help it. And if you do, you can't be certain that the courts are going to find in your favour. Uh, the one thing I find a bit surprising about the case, you can understand the decision. You know, Biden was a property developer and all those sparks was a businessman. He, he, he'd never had any sort of uh, any affairs in relation to property development. But they both employed um, uh, commercial property lawyers, solicitors. And, uh, you know, there was extended negotiations by all accounts, you know, in relation to this. And Sparks' solicitor should have made clear that you had to sell within a reasonable time. Cosmicome in Southampton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this bizarrely also took place in Southampton, not in Wimbledon, but in Havelock Road. Um, same name, different road. <laughs> uh, but what are the chances of that? And it's nice to see that Sir Henry Havelock, the Victorian general, uh, is causing so much property litigation all these years on, since he died in 1857. Uh, but... Uh, the land was bought from the city council, this particular piece of land, uh, uh, in 1989 by the BBC for a pound. Uh, and they were going to build their uh, regional offices for BBC South there. The land itself is, um, if you know Southampton, uh, it's uh, quite a famous distinct area. It's opposite the, the Civic Centre, which is where the you know, city council are based in the central library. And, there's a museum to the sea or something to sea life or whatever, uh, and an art gallery and uh, a theatre, the Mayflower Theatre as well. Um, so they council had a lot of land. It's their you know, nearby. It's their cultural quarter. Um, and uh, the I say the BBC bought uh, bought this land. The the building was uh, completed in 1991. And they also uh, paid a million pounds as part of this deal towards the council building a multi-storey car park nearby, uh, close to the land. And the BBC then took a 99-year lease of uh, the bottom two floors of this car park for their staff. Uh, that was the background, uh, but uh, the council included various restrictive covenants uh, in relation to the land, which basically constitute, if you like, a negative form of overage. What were the relevant covenants? Well, primarily, um, there was a highly restrictive user covenant that uh, the only people who could occupy and use this land uh, was the BBC, um, which, you know, leave the valuers to talk about the effects on the value of such covenants and likes, but BBC were freeholders. If anybody else was uh, to purchase the land then the there would have to be an offer back uh, to the council and the council could uh, within three months of uh, written notice 
uh, could decide to uh, purchase the land and if they did, you know, market value um, based on user covenants that it could be used for any business as long as it was a television or radio and or radio business. So not quite as restrictive a covenant and they pay, they pay uh, market value accordingly. And if they did exercise the option, then there would have to be a transfer within six months um, to the, the, uh, to the uh, city council. Uh, the alternative is that um, they could discharge the covenant uh, in return for something called a development charge. Um, if you paid them 50% of the uplift in value, so that you can see it starts to become really, although it's a restrictive covenant, it is an overage provision or an attempted overage provision and give us 50% of uh, the uplift in value and we'll discharge the covenant so anybody can buy the land. Cosmocone purchased the land. Uh, this council didn't want uh, to exercise their rights uh, to buy back, but then Cosmocone um, transferred or gave a 25-year lease back to the BBC. They also took an assignment of the 99-year lease of the car park and, and gave a lease back for that as well. It was a kind of, you know, it's a financial restructuring plan, really. And the council eventually took objection to this and argued that you have to pay us the development charge. What did the court decide? Well, I mean, some of the background, perhaps. Uh, it is, I mean, you can enforce... Uh, overage via restrictive covenants but as I did mention in the briefly in the course it's not the most sensible way of doing so and not least of which I've perhaps mentioned a few others shortly um, restrictive covenants are not binding on third-party purchasers unless there's a dominant and servient piece of land uh, and the covenants at least in the private sector if not always the public sector must uh, benefit the dominant lands. They must be actually property rights which accommodate the dominant land, as some of the older cases say. I mean, the classic case that people, or certainly the, the lawyers do in, in their degree, degree level studies, is a case called Kelly and Barrett, which is from 1924, which uh, is basically where developers, um, the roads were adopted by the council, but the developers kept the subsoil, and that wasn't uh, you know, a benefited piece of land. And it's always suggested a major factor is the proximity. It doesn't have to be adjoining, but it has to be nearby. And obviously the council have got a lot of land you know, nearby, which they um, the freehold to. Um, but it's not enough just to own the land. There must be some clear benefit. It makes your land a more valuable place, if you like. And the court decided that because you were quite prepared to be paid money to discharge this covenant via this, this, this um, development charge. Uh, there wasn't any benefited land. They did suggest if it could be proven, which it couldn't, that the fact that the BBC were there close to their cultural quarter attracted people to go to the cultural quarter, there might be some kind of benefit there. Potentially the covenants might be enforceable, but uh, uh, that wasn't the case here and the covenant didn't bind third party Cosmocone, therefore the development charge didn't have to be paid. What are the consequences of this one? I think it's the final nail in the coffin of uh, not using restrictive covenants as a way of enforcing overage and clawback. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen those covenants being used on a, on a regular basis, certainly up until that case was reported in 2013. 
uh, it is not an uncommon covenant to see uh, as a way of enforcing, well, people thought it was a way of enforcing overage. But generally, I think, I know we did a podcast uh, which you can listen to on restrictive covenants and forcibility a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, there are so, so many reasons not to use restrictive covenants as a way of enforcing overage, not least of which because they can be uh, discharged under Section 84 of the Law of Property Act if they prevent reasonable use of the land uh, or are obsolete and they don't secure practical benefits and the likes. Um, you can get compensation, but the compensation, I think I mentioned this in the actual course, uh, if the covenants are discharged, is not usually based on betterment value, like a, a well-drafted overage clause. It's based on reduced value of the neighboring land. That's not an exact science, but that's what perhaps the majority of decisions say. And also, um, what do you do if people breach the covenant? Well, you can get an injunction, but in spite of a Supreme Court case, Alexander Devine and Housing Solutions from just before Christmas uh, last year, then you can't be guaranteed an injunction. Um, it's positive covenants is the way of enforcing overage. Subtle difference between you cannot use and we'll discharge that covenant if you give us some money. That's a restrictive covenant. Uh, if you use for this purpose, give us some money. That's a positive covenant and that's the best way of enforcing overage together with direct covenants and restrictions. London and Ilford Limited and Sovereign Property Holdings Limited 2018 Court of Appeal case. That's the next one we want to talk about. Yeah, and do you want the background to that one? Yeah, let's start there. All took place in uh, Ilford, as the name probably suggests, uh, in Havelock Road, surprisingly. No, it didn't. <laughs> uh, I made it, up. Um, it was somewhere called Perth Road. Don't know Ilford. I've been through there on the train quite a lot, but uh, apart from that, I couldn't tell you about it. Um, it's uh, London and uh, Ilford were purchasing this uh, particular block, which is primarily offices intending to convert them into, into residential units and sovereign property holdings with the, with the current owners. It was eight storeys high. Um, the ground floor was mainly uh, retail and uh, plus a restaurant and the restaurant sort of spilled over slightly into, the, uh, into the, uh, the first floor. I think there was one flat already, one residential flat in the block, but the rest of it was, um, was offices, as commercial offices. And uh, as I say, they were intending to convert the whole of the, well, everything, but I think the first, the ground floor into, into residential units. Because they can do so uh, on the face of it under a piece of legislation uh, under permitted development changes that came in in 2013, whereby with a few exceptions, uh, officers uh, can be converted into residential dwellings without planning permission because they've got general permitted development. It's something that's in a state of flux uh, at the moment, but there's still transitional provisions. It's, uh, it's use class O is the, uh, the class uh, name, if you like. Uh, but uh, there were overage provisions in this particular block as well. What were the overage provisions? Uh, basically, uh, the, uh, the contract, the transfer, included provision whereby if you get prior approval for, from the council uh, to convert into residential units, I think the words were for residential use, sale or letting, you would have to pay, quite strangely, a fixed amount of overage of £750,000. 
Uh, and uh, the requirement was for at least 60 flats, uh, and then you'd trigger the overage payments. Um, the Although you've got permitted development rights, you have to apply for prior approval from the council, just as you do with various other permitted development rights. And not all by any means, but uh, the council has to be told, and they've got 56 days to respond, and they can object on grounds such as uh, the uh, you know, transport and highways impact, there's nowhere to park all the cars, uh, noise from business premises nearby, flooding, contaminated land. The council gave the prior approval subject to just one condition, as I recollect, and that was in relation to highways and traffic uh, issues. You'd have to sort of do something about that. But they got the prior approval. They then realized, this was back in 2016, but they then realized they couldn't get building regulations uh, for the block, certainly not for 60 uh, flats. And so they weren't able to go ahead with their plans. Strangely, they didn't look at the viability of this before they bought. They actually bought for 7,350,000 pounds. I think you'd kind of think about that, hopefully. But as a consequence, uh, they uh, cannot go ahead with their plans for, for residential units. And uh, the question really was, do they still have to pay the overage as it being triggered? So what did they decide? Uh, the Court of Appeal, uh, as did the first instance judge, uh, decided that the trigger event had occurred. Um, I think not surprisingly, quite honestly. There was an argument that was put forward that uh, well, you know, we, we can't use for residential purposes because we can't convert to residential flats because we can't get building regulations to do so. Uh, but the court didn't accept that argument. They basically said that planning permission and building regs, permitted development rights and building regs are, are totally different things. And uh, you see no profit really from your enterprise. You paid £7,350,000 for the block, and, but you still have to pay the 750000 overage for a lot of offices that you don't want. Can you see any other consequences? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the great unknowns in the area and in commercial property work generally. One thing, uh, for instance, not the major thing, is that it's increasingly unlikely that you're going to be able to get uh, building regulations for these developments. I think they've, um, they've sort of got to saturation point by now anyway, almost. Uh, but for instance, in April of this year, they introduced uh, uh, size requirements, making sure these flats are not too small. Um, and primarily, we've, uh, this was pre-Grenfell, I say this was all in, I think the, uh, the prior approval was given in July of 2016. Um, and uh, June of 2017, Grenfell became a game changer, especially for mm. blocks of 18 or more meters in height, which is, give or take six stories. Um, building regulations have changed in 2018, 2020, if you're in Wales, in relation to uh, use of cladding, for instance. And we've got a building safety bill, which was introduced into the House of Commons on July the 5th. It's probably not gonna become law for a year or two yet, but uh, major upheaval of building regulations, not just in relation to fire safety, but uh, in relation to building safety generally. And again, especially in 18 meter or more, which this would have been blocks of, flat, uh, blocks of flats. Uh, so that's one problem. And the other big problem, which I did touch upon, but uh, the mind boggles on it. Uh, and I think people have got to think carefully about drafting is um, well, September of 2020, it's 
being uh, judicially reviewed by the Court of Appeal in the near future. But uh, we got the new use Class E, which um, subsumes Class A1 shops and A2 financial professional services, A3 restaurants and takeaways and B business premises generally. And uh, again, subject to prior approval, you don't need planning permission. And on August the 1st, with transitional provisions, um, again for a year, um, but uh, you can convert Class E into, into C3 dwellings with, with exceptions like listed buildings. Like I mentioned in the course, military explosive storage areas, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be converting them into flats either without planning permission and a few other things besides. But increasingly, things are going to depend on prior approval. So you might think carefully about having the trigger event for, for overage being planning permission. And you certainly should think carefully about having a trigger event which, you know, pays the money which can be overridden elsewhere. Overage clauses tend, although I've seen them not, to deal with things like you get planning permission, but you lose planning permission on appeal. You don't have to pay the overage. But uh, they didn't at the time of this case, certainly. Uh, they didn't deal with things like not being able to go ahead with the development. And I think generally you've got to have to think about, A, does prior approval and or planning permission trigger the overage? B, if the council doesn't get back uh, within 56 days of the written uh, notice, you can write a letter for deemed prior approval. So what's the effect of that as the trigger? I think that needs to be dealt with. Uh, and above all, you need to think carefully, and obviously lots of clauses do this, about making so something other than planning um the the trigger event um and uh you know something like you know starting the development or when you actually sell the properties which is more difficult to police should have stressed apologies the the planning changes are england only not not the rest of the uk and england's going completely on its own in planning now okay brilliant well thank you very much for your time richard all right, it's my pleasure, Lizzie. And thank you, of course, to our listeners. And um, we look forward to seeing you soon um, in September for our next episode, if not before.